We've been talking about uh, the senses, having a sensible Christmas. The fact that God has given us the ability to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to speak. And there's a passage that we find in our readings for Christmas this week. You're, you're going to experience this passage we read today in the coming days. It's from the 20th chapter of John. It's not your typical Christmas passage. We've reserved the story of Christmas for Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. Or there's a, a very unique telling of the Christmas story in John chapter 1. But we turn to the 20th chapter of John today to pick up with the man that we know to be named Thomas. Because he has everything to say to us about this sense of, of touch. The ability to, to grasp. The ability to catch. And for us today, many of us need a renewal of that sense of touch in our own lives. It's in the 20th chapter of John, beginning with verse 24. God's Word says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut. He stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, see my hands. Reach here with your hand, place it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. You had to catch the sense of touch here, correct? The sense of physical evidence. The sense of placing your hands on that which is real. That which will convince you. That's what this story is all about to me. That's what Thomas is really driving at. He represents all of us who come to a point in our life where because of whatever reason, we move into a period of doubt. And we demand evidence. His name is Thomas, that's Aramaic. Didymus, he's also called, is the Greek name. And both of them signify the word twin. Thomas the twin. We don't know anything about his twin, or even if there was one. There may have been another meaning behind that. Perhaps the real emphasis would be, if we can't identify Thomas's twin in the pages of the New Testament, maybe all we need to do is look in the mirror. Because maybe what, or maybe who his twin really is, maybe his twin is you and me. Because if you've ever felt like he felt, if you've ever had doubt, you can do well to learn from how Thomas experienced his. When I read this passage and look over it, I, I simply see hard-headed skepticism. Verse 25 tells us 
in no uncertain terms that Thomas was not going to take the word of his friends. Now, the timeline here is very simple. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. That's the first Sunday of Easter, if you want to say it, or the first Easter. And it was the next day, it was the next week, it was the next first day when Thomas had his conversation with Christ. In the meantime, we know this much about Thomas. He deserted. Along with most every other disciple, when Jesus was put on trial that Friday, Thomas vanished. Maybe that's what his real problem was in the beginning. Maybe that's what caused him to, to express this doubt. But the simple fact of the matter is, is he deserted Jesus along with many others. He wasn't the only one. And because of that desertion, it led him to a delay in his life. He wasn't where he needed to be. He wasn't with the other disciples in the upper room on that evening when Jesus came out of the grave that morning. He was absent. Maybe his desertion led to his delay. And maybe there's a little lesson there, if you want to read into the text, that many times when we're not where we should be, and by that I mean with God's people, I mean regularly attending and being involved in the life of the church, of your church, whichever church that is, how many times do you miss out because you're not where you need to be? So it is with Thomas. He deserted. It led him to delay. And then we see that when he finally did come face to face with his friends, they said, we have seen the Lord. He is alive. He then expressed his doubt. And then that was followed by a firm demand for a demonstration of evidence. Make no mistake, when he said, unless I have this evidence of seeing the nails or the scars from the nails and putting my own hand into his side, he says, I will not believe. In English, it sounds great. In the Greek language, it's a double negative. It's when you say no to the double extreme where you almost contradict yourself. That's how strong his negative is. I will in no means ever not believe. I will not accept unless I see with my own eyes and touch with my own hands the evidence I demand. Skepticism, just blatant, outright skepticism. But keep in mind, it's John chapter 11 where Thomas is the one who says, let's go to Jerusalem with him, let's die with him. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't lacking courage. He simply came to a point in his life where many of us do, and maybe you're there now, where you doubt. Keep in mind that there is a word for doubt and there is a word for unbelief. They're two different things. We confuse them. Doubt is many times just an intellectual issue. It's the fact that for whatever reason, you're trying to approach things from a scientific point of view or a logical point of view. And many times spiritual things don't meet that criteria. They don't come across as logical. They don't meet the proof of science. They don't have to. They never have and they never will. And doubt may come into play because of the simple fact that in your mind, you have a hard time with it. Unbelief is different. Unbelief is not an intellectual issue. It's a spiritual issue. That's where you make a choice and say, I will not accept. I will not believe. I will not follow 
what God wants me to do. You see the difference? Thomas is in that stage of doubt. And he's going to come to a place where whatever happens, he's going to be confronted with a choice to either believe or disbelieve. Now, skepticism in this passage comes face to face with love. I say capital L-O-V-E there because I'm identifying ultimate love as the person of Jesus. So you've got Thomas here just rattling off. No, I will not believe unless I can see this, this, this. And I don't care what you say, John. I'm not saying you're lying to me. I'm just saying that I'm in a point in life where I've got to have more. I've got to have a demonstration. I've got to have details. I've got to have evidence. And so it says that on that next Sunday, on that next first day of the week, the second Easter, if you will, that Thomas did come back. He did show up. He was with the church, if you will. He was with his friends. And there, miraculously, Jesus appeared in the midst of the room. And there he gave the greeting, peace be with you. And then you notice the scriptures as he turned right to Thomas and dealt with the issue. Thomas, come here. Look. Give me your finger. Touch it. Give me your hand. Put it here. The scripture does not tell us whether Thomas followed through. And touch Jesus. I I tend to think he didn't need to at this point. I tend to think his demand for evidence was overshadowed coming face to face with Jesus and realizing that he could see. And that was the ultimate thing that pushed him from doubt to belief. He saw it. He didn't have to touch it at this point. But Jesus, you notice, made it available. See, what do most of us think? We think when we doubt that God uh, looks down upon us, He frowns upon us, He punishes us, He doesn't like us anymore because we doubt Him. And we find that on the pages of Scripture, it's not that way at all. That God can handle our doubts. But there comes a point where doubt is going to take us to a crossroads and there's going to be a choice between belief and unbelief. Then it becomes a spiritual issue. I've said it over and over again every time we come to this word in the Bible. I say it again just so we're clear. In English, we can't make faith a verb, but in the Greek language, they don't have a problem with that. And so when Jesus says, because you have seen me, be not unbelieving, but believing. Those are the words of Jesus. That was his command. Thomas, be not unbelieving, but believing in me. And literally he's saying what? He's saying, be not unfaithing, but faithing me. Because wherever you see in English translations of the Bible the word believe, you can always just say, it's faith. It's faithing. It's I faith God. Incorrect, if you try to use it in everyday English, don't try to write a paper for a grade using faith as a verb. You're going to be counted down for it. But always remember that believing here is much more than just right up here. Faithing is a commitment of one's life. It's the stepping across a line of faith. A commitment. So it all comes down once again to that sense of touching, doesn't it? I mean, here in the pages of the New Testament, Thomas was all about physically touching the wounds of Jesus. But there's another kind of touching 
spiritual touching. Where people's lives are affected by more than just the physical realm. By more than just the physical senses. But where touching and the effect we have upon one another's life is wrapped up in actions and feelings and prayer. Now let me ask you this question. Physical touching, spiritual touching, which one endures? Which one has the greatest impact upon one's life? I think if we're honest, we would have to admit that it's the spiritual dimension. It's the spiritual sense of touching God's presence, of God's Spirit touching our hearts. And that turns into what? All kinds of actions. It turns into physical expressions of love, especially at Christmas. But it also reminds us when maybe the touch is not there, maybe when the emotion is not as high, it's the spiritual dimension, the Spirit of God upon our lives that we know endures. That's why we pray for people who have been physically violated, who have been physically torn asunder, whose lives and children, whose lives have been snatched away in an instant. And we pray for the spiritual touch of God's hand to be upon them. Jesus closes this with a a call to touch generations. You know, it's that 29th verse where he made kind of a strange statement. He said, because you've seen me, Thomas, you believe. And then he said, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe, yet faith. He's talking about us. He's talking about you and me. He, he looks at Thomas and says, you're able to stand here. I gave you the opportunity to put your finger here and to put your hand in my side. Physical evidence that you demanded. But now because you're in front of me and you see me and you hear me and you can touch me, you believe, well, there will be generations of people who will never have that physical contact with me. But yet they faith, yet they believe. That's you and me. For you see, it all comes down to one major issue in my mind. Everybody's got faith. Everybody lives by some type of faith. What is important, what is monumental is what is the object of your faith. The object of your faith is what makes the difference. And for Thomas and all of his doubt... When the choice came between belief and unbelief, he chose to follow and chose to be faithful. And for you and me, it's the same choice that we make. And we choose as the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are people in this world today, the object of their faith is themselves or some movement or some government or some some emotional feeling that keeps them tied up in knots, the object of their faith is what consumes them. So the touch is vitally important so long as we're touching the right thing. 
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, to gather here, to call upon your name, to pray, to ask you to move among us. And Father, in the midst of a morning that from my perspective and the perspective of some has seemed to be just a total disconnect and a disaster in many ways, we know that Many times it's in those things that are totally outside of our control where you show yourself. So that's what I pray, Lord, that our time spent here today would be well spent, that the actions we we exercise in this place today would be those that would honor you. It's in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord, we offer our prayer. Amen. We close our service today with a, a song of commitment, a song of meditation. God never speaks without giving you and me an opportunity to respond, and He has spoken to us today. I believe that. And so we offer a, a time of commitment. This is, this is the way we handle these closing moments. We're going to stand in a moment, and the band's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to be standing right down here. Because there could be someone in this room today, and you've yet to say, yes to Jesus and the claim He has put upon your life. He is your Savior. He died that you might live. And it may be that you need to make that uh, profession of faith, we call it. You need to stand and say, I want the Lord Jesus to come into my life. I want to follow Him. It's called becoming a Christian. You might have heard it as being saved. I don't care what term you put with it. It's a choice. It's receiving what Christ has done for you. And if that's what you want to do, I want you to come tell me. I want to pray for you. Maybe you know the Lord, just hadn't told anyone. Maybe you've never followed Him and what the two sisters did, Jessica and Julie at the top of our service, when they identified with Jesus and the symbol of believer's baptism. If that's something you need to do, that's an act of obedience, come forward and tell me. We'll find a time to to have believer's baptism for you. Maybe God would lead you to join our church today. I don't know. If you're here and you feel God's leading you to plug in, to, to not delay, to not be out there on your own, but to join with God's family and to serve Him through the life of a church. If this is where you feel God wants you to belong, then I want you to come tell me that's how we receive members in the life of our church. And then for many of us, it's simply a matter of the senses, of touching, of doubting. Where is that going to lead us? Is there a central issue in your life where... You're doubting, but that doubt could turn into unbelief, and that would be the tragedy of it all. Or that doubt could turn into a stronger commitment. I think that's what happened with Thomas. I think the guy was so slow to come around, but once he made up his mind, it was done. So make up your mind. We stand together, we sing, wait for you here in the front. Won't you respond right now?